Welcome to True Nature Radio. I'm Lori Regan. And I'm Heiner Fruhoff. Heiner, last week we talked about the organ network of the heart, which we described as being the emperor, the empress of the whole system. We talked about it in a general way. This week, um, for our listeners, we're including another show that we've entitled All Disease Comes from the Heart. Heiner, can you explain what this means and, and what are basic ideas for today? Certainly. Um, for me, the, this is a concept, the concept of the heart, that really contains the real meaning of holistic medicine uh, better than anything else. Because that hole in holistic is really not just somebody has a liver disease, you also consider treating the kidney or the spleen, but that hole is how is the realm of the material, our animal body, connected to the realm of the energetic and the subtle realm of spirit, as ancient people would say. And that is what makes us whole. And as we discussed last time, the function of the heart is to be a receptor site for the realm of the subtle. And that without this function, we cannot be fully whole. And without this diagnosis of this relationship between immaterial and material, subtle and manifest, um, we cannot be a physician. Because really, everything we see in a patient is a result of the energy and the spiritual reality of that patient that is manifesting in the realm of matter. So um, from the most holistic viewpoint, therefore, every physical disease, every physical symptom we see in a patient, what we really, when we want to treat the root, that root is really in the energy body and in the spirit body. And that is what the heart is. That's what the heart governs. So from that perspective, all disease, no matter whether it's a wart or a mole or a tumor or a headache, comes from the heart, comes from a subtler reality that exists inside of us and is co-resonating with uh, the rest of the universe outside of us. It's a theme we've been talking about really since the very first show, that um, in modern times, we tend to view disease as being a problem of the physical only, a problem of the body, and that we're going back to the ancient times simply because people in those cultures recognized that what's appearing in the physical is, in a way, designed or formed or informed by what's happening at the physical level. I mean, sorry, the, the energetic level. And the ancient people were true masters in... Uh, exploring. Uh, that was really what their science was, is the relationship between the immaterial and the material. And what we now call the classics, including the medical classics in Chinese medicine, is all about the in-detail exploration of that relationship. And we've talked about that a lot as being a symbol science, right? So that what's showing up in the physical body as physical disease is, in a way, a symbol, a sign a guidepost that can lead us back to what is not in resonance, what's not 
um, receiving what's not in a state of true connection, what in our our more mundane awareness is not in a, in true connection with the deeper level at which our for lack of any other way to say it, w- which our being exists. Yes, and that is the difficult thing. If we look at an ancient source that was written in symbolic code um, with modern eyes, which is just materialistic eyes, we basically only see what's on the page. We don't uh, look for the meaning behind the symbols anymore. And the heart there is a good example. We barely treat the heart in modern times anymore because the symbols or the symptoms that are associated in regular TCM or traditional Chinese medicine with the heart are anxiety, insomnia, and certain kind of urinary symptoms very often associated with venereal disease. But those are really just symbolic for a general state in which the person is not utilizing his or her potential to co-resonate with this realm of the invisible, with the realm of spirit uh, that is supposed to be a guidepost for us. So in a certain way then, coming back to all disease comes from the heart, when any patient walks into the door and say they are diseased, their unease is really that they feel their life is meaningless because they are just dealing with uh, paying the mortgage, getting another car, feeling stressed, uh, those kinds of things, rather than remembering. That's the term that we were using last time. That is the main function of the heart, remembrance. Who are we? Why are we here? And when we don't uh, fulfill that mandate of remembering, we will feel that we're leaving a life that doesn't have purpose anymore. And then Quite literally, the body then starts initiating a series of basically suicidal mechanisms because it says, that's not what I'm here for. I feel not fully happy and uh, don't, 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 don't feel comfortable about that. Yeah, so usually or typically in our culture, many cultures, this realm is associated with religion, right? Can you talk a little bit about that idea from the ancient perspective and the modern and <laughs> it's a big question. And also tying in the idea that this is, it's really fundamentally, this question of spirituality is fundamentally connected with physical health as well. Absolutely. There was, this is a characteristic of modern living that we are living or have created a kind of way of looking at the world that is basically. Uh, a way of living in separation, you could call it, which is contrary to the unifying function of the heart. So ancient people had a type of heart science, a heart way of looking at the world where everything was connected. Body, mind, and spirit was collected, connected. Religion and science were the same. To a modern person, they're completely different. You know, you've got the realm of what you can touch and feel and measure, that science, and you have something that you cannot touch and feel and measure that you can maybe once in a while get an emotional or intuitive feeling for and that you need to, in essence, believe in. That's the realm of the immaterial, and we relegate that to the realm of religion. For ancient people, that was both the same thing. In medicine, that was both the same thing. There is not a single herb that doesn't 
enter into the physical body and into the emotional and mental and spiritual realm at the same time. So you can, can you provide us with more insight about the specific spiritual traditions from ancient China, and then we'll lead that into what they inform us about in today's modern world? Of course. So in the context of China, basically, uh, Taoism was a way to describe the shamanic way of looking at the world, how everything is alive, every stone, every plant, every animal had a spirit that was living inside of it and the recognition of that spirit, the ability to diagnose and see that spirit and um, correspond with that spirit, communicate with it, uh, was one of the goals of Taoism. Living in harmony with nature meant that, uh, including uh, when you go to Bali nowadays, for instance, you see very beautifully how the people there, uh, it is part of their everyday life to still have different ritual sacrifices to different nature spirits. And even the ants have a little altar that uh, um, they're being sacrificed to so that they're not disturbing the regular routine of the human household. Um, Buddhism, primarily a wisdom tradition, um, trying to um, describe the, 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 the ethical, the, the vibrations of the universe in their ethical uh, perfection, so to speak, uh, and what that then means for the human being. Um, what I would like to focus on th today, because I think is the most medically relevant for our listeners also, is Confucianism. Because um, while from a Chinese perspective, what we call religion would focus on the, what the Chinese call the Tao, the way, the principle uh, of tr truth out there. What is nature? What makes it go round? Whereas Confucianism is primarily focused on the de, which is de is making a kind of yin-yang pair with Tao. Tao, the way, uh, everything that makes the universe go round or the universe itself, whereas de is once you understand this Tao, what do you do about it? How do you bring it into your everyday life? And so Confucianism, in a very practical, from a modern perspective, actually non-religious perspective, is a, a non-dogmatic way of reminding us what it takes to live healthy and happy and fulfilled lives by actually doing something every moment what we say, what we do, what we think even, in order to co-resonate with um, these essentially beneficial vibrations that are out there in the universe. Um, so tell us more about the, and, and relate this for listeners who are maybe not so familiar that Tao and the Jing, people are familiar with the Tao Te Jing, and maybe haven't put it together that this is what that book is actually Yes, exactly. The Tao Te Ching is, of course, one of the greatest classics uh, of humankind, has been translated uh, at least as many times into foreign languages as the Bible. And essentially, Tao Te Ching means the classic of the Tao and the De, or the classic of the whole and the parts. Or in this context, a favorite translation would be the classic of the invisible principles of goodness and truth, Tao, 
and how you exercise that truth in your everyday life. De. So de, often translated as virtue, is actually a certain power, a medical power that surges through your body once you've opened your heart enough that you are living in complete resonance and unity with the goodness of the universe, so to speak. And Pythagoras in the Greek context called that the harmony of the spheres, also divided into five. Pentatonic music comes from that. And in the Chinese, particularly the Confucian context here, it is the five virtues, the, f the five de. So that one de is further divided in the five elements system that also, of course, works for Chinese medicine. Um, when we want to be healthy, what exactly do we need to do? How do we need to conduct ourselves in order to be in resonance with that positive, with that goodness that's out there in the cosmos? So let's talk more about the details of those five virtues, the five elements. Yeah, from the very beginning in the uh, ancient books of Confucianism, uh, like uh, 200 or 300 BC, from then on we have the the uh, I'm thinking specifically of the Baihu Tong De Lun, the the this great treatise uh, in the White Tiger Hall that opens up our understanding to De to this power of virtue, um, and that was written sometime during the ancient Han Dynasty, a little bit more than two thousand years ago, and in there is a division of five virtue, just like we have the, these five elements of Chinese medicine, which were spring, summer, late summer, fall, and winter that are further described with the things symbolically that thrive during these five seasons, namely wood for spring and fire for summer and earth for late summer and uh, metal for the fall and water for the winter. And in the realm of the five virtues, uh, that would be for wood, imitating or resonating with the quality of springtime is what the Chinese call ren. Ren is the picture of a human being and the number two. The natural thing that happens when two humans come together, uh, when they're all clear and in harmony, namely compassion. So ren means love and compassion. And that's what drives every physician to want to take care of another sentient being. That is a very human quality called Zhen. For fire, very important here is the highest of the Confucian virtues is called Li. Li means respect, means politeness, means ritual. And in the deepest sense, it is really the right way of being in the universe in your everyday life. How do you feel when you look another human being in the eye? Do you regard them with the deepest respect because here is the crown of creation in front of you at least as a potential? They might not behave like that at the moment, but their potential is to be a Buddha, to be like God himself or herself, to be a sacred being. Uh, and so that is what the ancient wisdom traditions basically postulate, is that it is the human mandate to cultivate that one's entire lifetime, to come closer and closer 
to the fulfillment of that potential to be fully in Lee. Uh, and that includes, uh, you know, like looking at nature and perceiving beauty to look at any situation, no matter how our ego might reject it, but consider it as something sacred and go like, what can I learn from this situation? This is really perfect for me right now. It's so, really profound, isn't it, Heiner, that idea that you just said, because it means that even the, at the deepest level, even the things that we consider to be the greatest tragedies or the greatest mistakes or the greatest... Um, disasters in a way, if you have the right eyes, if you have the right eyes of the heart, you can see unity even in this seemingly extremely difficult situation and can see that even in those most difficult periods, there's an opportunity for connection with the deepest part of who we are. There's opportunity for connection with the divine. You definitely put your finger on the deepest meaning of Lee, which is that respect and politeness is describing our relationship to the universe through the concreteness of everyday life, through every person we meet, through every situation we encounter, no matter how uncomfortable that situation is and how angry it might make us at the moment because it doesn't make sense to us or our ego cannot embrace it. But um, the Li ritual means also in ancient times uh, included the concept of, always included the concept of sacrifice. So that means to be in a state of Li is in the end leads to the fire emotion of joy or even ecstasy and real happiness. But it is, as we've discussed last week, before you die, you have to die. Before you are reborn in the state of full health and ecstasy and vitality, you need to let go of something. You need to sacrifice something. So uh, to be in a state of leave, we need to let go of preconceived notions of the ego. That is how the ancient text and every wisdom tradition describe that to us. So yeah, um, that is the meaning of Lee. Yeah. So we've talked about Ren and we've talked about Li. Should we talk about the rest of the, the other three virtues? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the um in order then the the uh, next element would be earth. And earth is describing a force that brings um structure. And so in the realm of virtue, um the word that is used in the ancient text is Xin. And Shin means integrity uh, and trust and trustworthiness. All of these three concepts are wrapped up in there. So a person, and the interesting thing for me here is, and this is why earth is the central element and this is a certain, certain uh, central virtue as a result of it, is from a modern perspective, Belief is something that makes you suspect. Whereas for an ancient person, if you're able to trust yourself, you are a trustworthy person. You are somebody of integrity. And in a certain sense, you can also say, you know, 
a human being wants to know what the truth is and what they can trust and what they cannot. And even modern science is, from that perspective, a type of religion that is created so you can believe in something. It has its own parameters, and they drew in certain circumstances, but you take them into the realm of Einstein's relativity theory or quantum physics and or, or the realm of spirit here in Chinese medicine. All of a sudden, a whole other set of laws applies. But it is... What is called trust here is the ability to make that jump for a Chinese medicine practitioner to believe in qi, to believe in shen, to believe that the physical matter of the patient in front of you is not the end all, but that there is a, a force that is enervating that body and that what you're really after in your diagnosis and your treatment is that force. So earth, fire, and... No, sorry, we did wood, wood, fire, and and earth. Now we move on to metal. To metal, which resonates with fall. And what happens in fall is that nature is contracting. And so in the realm of the virtues, it is also about a quality, about a human being being able to take oneself back. The opposite of that was the force of spring, which in the realm of virtue was you compassionately move out toward other people to give them your warmth. And now it's a certain coolness, a certain restraint, a certain criticism maybe even. That is how fall is described, is the the blade of the sword of justice that is sort of cutting uh, and restraining uh, and the proper way of how to use that sword is, of course, toward yourself. So in Confucianism, the virtue is E, and E is the picture of a sheep over the word war, which means ego. So it is like that transforming, in essence, that which is most impulsive and, and egotistical and, and unrestrained. You're the voices of the ego with the quality of that animal that in the realm of nature is most willing to sacrifice itself. So E uh, has many modern translations, including brotherhood, sisterhood, justice, equality, those kinds of things. But it really, for me, it means selflessness. And selflessness has to have self-restraint, taking yourself back, thinking of others first. Mm. And moving, completing the cycle with water. In this Confucian tradition, the virtue associated with water is zhi, which means wisdom, and it's specifically a character of that is composed of the character for sun and the character that means uh, knowledge. So it is about true wisdom, in other words, is um, because the sun is written underneath the word for knowledge is knowledge that comes with humility, like water, always lowering yourself to the lowest place and rather than arrogantly elevating yourself above others. Great. So we've gone through the five virtues. Now let's connect that understanding to what we can do to actually um, treat, prevent, understand disease in modern times. Yeah, I find this so important and, you know, you know personally that uh, as an herbalist, I always like to prescribe herbs that treat, treat 
the realm of qi and of yang and of shen uh, rather than the more structural part of the body and uh, but from really from the highest perspective the search of the source-oriented physician should go toward how can you directly without touching the person's body without making them drink anything or take anything influence their chi body and their shen body their energetic body and uh, because that is really you know you all disease comes from the heart it means you treat the heart you treat their subtle body you should be able to change the whole thing and uh, it was most interesting to me to not only as a historian follow this Confucian tradition through the ages, through Zhu Xi, who was a new Confucian philosopher in the 12th century, uh, who gave lectures about how you should bring these virtues into your everyday life, but all the way up to a person called Wang Fengyi in the 19th century, who uh, died, I think, in uh, was born in the 1860s and died in the 1937, I think. And he was extremely active and concerned. He was sort of an educator and peasant saint, if you will, with how to bring this into the everyday life in a very medical way to his fellow human beings. And um, his students and his legacy is still existent in northern China, while on some level, unfortunately, somewhat suppressed or at the very least not supported by um, political forces nowadays because it's a little bit quote-unquote too woo-woo because you're not dealing with uh, physical treatment of the body Um, but it is basically it's called xingli liao bing virtue therapy or how to treat disease by changing your uh, goodness inside of you and make you co-resonate with the universe again and is basically techniques that have to do with uh, storytelling and making the patient aware of where they are failing to be fully fulfilling their human mandate and exercising these virtues in their everyday life, not with their church congregation on the weekends, but with their love partner, with their children, with their parents, in the places where it's the hardest and where you need to be doing it all the time. And uh, there are some we have over a hundred years of documented uh, cases. I visited um, some of these healers in northern China myself and have been very, as a physician, incredibly impressed with the clinical results. And bringing it over here to the West is only, we've only just begun, but I'm extremely encouraged uh, by what I've seen myself. And I think both of us have decided to have a show about that in the near future. Um, by inviting some of our colleagues who've already started working with that modality and reporting from their own experience uh, what that can really do when human beings work on that level with their bodies. Yeah, we're excited about that as probably our next, but definitely one of our next shows to give more um, concrete examples of how this theory, how this understanding that comes from ancient times actually has very direct relevance for all of us in our everyday life, in our everyday health. So that's it for today. Um, This 
episode of True Nature Radio. I'm Lori Regan. And I'm Heiner Fruhoff. As always, if you're interested in pursuing holistic medicine as a career, go to ncnm.edu, the website of the National College of Natural Medicine, which also has a department of classical Chinese medicine. And if you want to know more about all disease, comes from the heart, that concept, and an introduction also to the Wang Feng Yi way of healing. Uh, I once wrote an article about that. All disease comes from the heart, and you can download that from classicalchinesemedicine.org. We look forward to sharing with you more next week. <laughs>